Hi guys, hope everyone's well and welcome back to the Improvement Podcast. So episode 131 is going to be a QA and a going over many different questions regarding everything from training to nutrition uh, to maybe even some things outside the gym. So the questions I've gathered for this question and answer episode was from a question box on my Instagram and from now onwards I might look to do these somewhat regularly depending on the response they get. So if you do have any questions, regardless if I put like a Q&A box up, just literally drop me a message and then I will make sure to answer that question in the next time I do a Q&A. Uh, so yeah, hope you all enjoy the episode. If you do, then of course any support would be greatly appreciated as always. So first question we're going to jump into is picking effective exercises for your chest uh, or for your push day, sorry, and avoiding kind of redundancy. So this is something that I've spoke about in the past, which is potentially where this question has came from and maybe wanted a bit more explanation behind it. So when it comes to chest training, you've obviously, or sorry, when it comes to push training, you've got three different muscle groups you're primarily targeting, which is your shoulders, your chest, and also your triceps. And in all three of these movements, what I like to do is have a bias for each when I'm targeting my, when I'm trying to train push. What I mean by that is if I train push, I won't just just do different movements for the sake of it. I also won't just do free chest movements. I'll have one movement dedicated towards my chest, one movement dedicated towards my shoulders, and one movement dedicated towards my tricep. That is a compa movement. Reason behind this is if I've already done like a flat press and stimulated my chest and kind of a flat press is gonna work kind of your your whole chest pretty much, but it will kind of bias primarily maybe your mid-chest and just your whole chest musculature. It's not going to kind of isolate anything, of course. But if I've already done a flat press, I don't think, see if I move on to another flat press variation, I'm going to get a lot from that in comparison to doing like a high incline press or a dip variation. I think I'm going to get more from that session and it's a better use of my time doing those other movements. Reason being is I've already targeted that muscle group. I've already stimulated that muscle group to grow. So why don't I use my time more wisely elsewhere than doing another variation to work a bit more of another muscle group and to maybe work a different portion of my chest? And in this scenario, like a good a good maybe example setup of what I'm currently running is I do a high incline press on a Smith machine, which will bias my upper chest and also my shoulders. And of course your triceps, you'll never kind of remove your triceps from pressing movements, so they'll be kind of stimulated throughout. And then I move on to a chest press where my main focus is, I should think, targeting my chest and that's a flat press. So there I've ticked off my upper chest, my shoulders. I've got a chest press where I'll be also working primarily my chest but also shoulders and triceps again. And then I'll go into a dip variation where I'll be targeting more lower pec and my triceps and of course shoulders. So as you see, I picked three movements. Only one movement's actually going to actually train my chest directly but all three movements are going to stimulate my chest and be effective volume towards my chest so there you can see I've got three different movements three different movement patterns which potentially have different benefits behind them uh, so that they kind of tie together nicely so when we think about our training it's like a puzzle you're fitting different pieces of a puzzle together and you're trying to kind of 
structure in a way where you're getting most out of each exercise and you're not kind of wasting your time you're using your time as efficiently as possible and kind of piecing that puzzle together so that you can get everything you want out of that session in the most kind of efficient manner if that makes sense and obviously the movements that I'm using I'm making sure that they target the desired musculature effectively they're pain-free and I do so in a relatively stable environment so I'm not using maybe all dumbbells or all cables to press from because I'll be unstable and potentially leaving some progress on the table and I'm getting a good range of motion and something to also consider is like your weaknesses so if your chest is a weakness you could put your chest first if your shoulders is a weakness put your shoulder work first if your triceps are weakness perform those movements with a close grip variation so that you are going to encourage more tricep uh, from that movement uh, and then you can follow that up with the dip again so you're getting even more tricep kind of benefit from it the only caveat to this structure is if let's say you've got massive triceps or you really need a lot more upper chest i doubt the majority of people watching or listening to this have gonna have like a really lagging upper chest in comparison to the rest of their chest they probably just need more tissue everywhere but if you've got let's say a lagging upper chest and you can maybe do you could say, uh, instead of that setup, you could do a high incline Smith press and you could do an incline machine and then you could do maybe a flat press or your dip. And there you're getting more work designated towards the upper chest and you're giving it a bit more volume, although you'll still work it during the flat press, if that makes sense. But that's how I'd potentially structure a push session and how I maybe can, or what I'd consider when kind of structuring my compound movements to avoid redundancy or avoid doing something that I've already done, if that makes sense, and kind of wasting your time a touch. So next up is going to be on cutting. So quite a broad question, so I'm going to give a broad answer behind it. So cutting, or in other words, dieting, what we basically want to do and want to consider when we're setting ourselves up for a dieting phase is first of all, finding out our calorie maintenance. And what I mean by that is finding out much calories we need to lose weight there's a lot of calculators online different ways to work it out what i like to do is basically with clients and with people starting i'll be like right track your calories for a week find out roughly how much you eat on a daily basis by adding up your calories for the whole seven days then dividing that by seven you then get your answer throughout those seven days weigh yourself look what weight what look what your weight's doing if your weight is staying round about at maintenance then you've found your maintenance. If your weight's going up, then you are in a gaining phase or in a calorie surplus or you're bulking, in other words, you could say for that time, for that week. Not that you're in a gaining phase, but you're you're in a calorie surplus. Sorry. And if you're losing weight, you're in a calorie deficit on those calories. And bear in mind, your expenditure will influence it. So keep the same expenditure throughout that week. And then you either eat less or move more to then start losing weight. What I mean by that is if you track your calories for a week, you do the same expenditure, you end up, let's say, maintaining weight. So what you'll basically want to do is eat less or do more activity and that's going to put you in a calorie deficit accordingly. And in terms of what else to do, so obviously it's not as simple as that, there's more to it. It's about kind of adherence as well. So use a form of expenditure that you can stick to if that's cardio on a treadmill or any other sort of cardio or if that's a step goal on a daily basis, just make sure you're doing the same expenditure weekly. I think a step goal is a bit easier to stick to and a bit more, more a bit less kind of strenuous mentally 
you're not going to get as burnt out in comparison to doing a lot of cardio. Uh, so that's kind of my preferred method if I've got like a client just starting out and I think that's the most sustainable. Means you can fit around your schedule and routine, do it on your work break, etc. And you don't have to purposely drive to the gym. And with your nutrition, make sure you're focusing on eating filling foods. You've got around 2 grams per kilogram of body weight of protein and you're minimizing liquid calories throughout. You're structuring your meals on a daily basis in a way that you can kind of adhere to and is going to help with hunger. Uh, but also if you can eat around your session, that's going to help massively with your performance. So yeah, that's just some tips off the top of my head. And relative, and rel- you should relatively have quite a whole food based diet. What I mean by that is eating a lot of kind of like processed foods typically isn't as filling as let's say eating a ton of whole food so that's what I recommend in terms of your nutritional choices and apart from that just repeat that process Uh, keep your calories where they are keep your expenditure where they are if your weight's continuing to drop if you drop if you don't drop weight in the space of a week maybe two weeks if your weight's definitely plateaued bear in mind it fluctuates then you can make a food adjustment basically lowering your food or moving more and in terms of if you should kind of eat less or move more to kind of put yourself in a calorie deficit, or in other words, to lose weight, it is dependent on what you can stick to. What I mean by that is if you feel like you can stick to eating less food better, then do that. Or if you feel like, right, my food's already low, I'd be better moving more and I can stick to that best, then that would be probably a better option for yourself. So that's the main consideration. What can you ultimately stick to? Because what you can stick to and adhere to best is what's going to give you the best results. Uh, So next up, I'm going to touch on another question I got regarding when you are training in the evening, what should you have for your post-workout? Should you have carbohydrates or should you have protein? What would be best? And the answer to this is ideally both. The reason being is when we are thinking about the role of each carbohydrates help us replenish our glycogen stores, it can help promote insulin being high which can put us in an anabolic position to basically build muscle and help us recover effectively and when it comes to the benefit of having protein is protein can help spike muscle protein synthesis uh, which can basically blunt muscle protein breakdown so help us not occur as much muscle damage which will influence how much soreness we will have which will influence how long it will take us to recover and also spiking muscle protein synthesis will help kind of promote the muscle growth process and promote kind of the process of building new tissues. So ideally you could say you want both fat post-workout regardless if we're talking about the evening setting I ideally like minimum so that you can uptake those carbohydrates quite fast and as well as that so that you can make sure that you are getting that protein kind of you can absorb that protein, utilize that protein nice and fast despite muscle protein synthesis. So yeah, fat should be relatively low. However, if you're talking about like that being your last meal, eating in the evening, then what you could consider is having some carbs right after your session and then from there having protein and fats not long after. And the reason being is if you have some carbs, if you have some carbs that will help replenish the glycogen stores uh, and kind of help with recovery and then having some protein and fat later on could be a good idea together and the reason being is you're not going to be consuming consuming any protein for a good maybe eight hours so just so you've got kind of 
amino acids or protein available and you digest it nice and slow throughout the night, then you can maybe look to have some protein and fats together. And the reason why is if, let's say, you're you're having, let's say, a whey isolate protein shake, which digests in one to two hours, then you've not got any amino acids available throughout that whole night, which can potentially support recovery. Amino acids basically being the building blocks of protein. So you're kind of burning or kind of utilizing all that protein and then being left for an extended period without. So pairing some fats slows the digestion of fat, of protein and carbohydrates, which is why you could look to have carbs so you can kind of utilize them nice and fast and then some protein and fats not long after. But if you don't want to overcomplicate it, just eat a balanced meal after your session and that's going to put you in a much better spot than doing nothing, if that makes sense. So next up, we're going to touch on exertion headaches so someone basically said they were getting headaches in the gym and it was when they were kind of at the end of the set and like getting close to failure and i've had them myself many times i've had a few questions about exertion headaches actually so exertion headaches don't feel nice at all when i've experienced them it's in the very back of my head and it's like it's like a grenade's going off in your head if it's severe and you just feel it whenever your kind of blood pressure rises or your heart rate comes up, you feel that like fudding sensation in the back of your head or like a thumping sensation and it's really not kind of comfortable. And obviously I'm not a doctor. If you've got any issues, get them checked out. But what I'd class as an exertion headache is what I've just basically discussed and I think it can be caused by blood pressure being super high during your sessions uh, which can be influenced by things like bracing and holding your breath for too long, taking too much caffeine, or your body fat being a bit higher, which meant your blood pressure is high as a whole. And also it can be caused, I believe, by having tightness in your upper back, your traps, your neck, your neck, your traps run up the back of your neck, which is the muscle in your back. So yeah, your traps are your upper back being tight, and doing like high rep movements also and some movements can trigger it more than others for example if i put a barbell on my back it's really likely to cause like an exertion headache in comparison to doing a hack squat or any other basically squat variation uh, it just seems to kind of basically always kind of trigger it like if I, I remember i was doing split squats with a barbell in the smith machine kept causing it i've done it with dumbbells since i started doing it with dumbbells it's never ever happened so You'll learn kind of what causes them and what doesn't if you have experiences or if you experience them and you can learn how to deal with it. For example, I know if I take stimulants during legs, I'm very, very likely to get one, even if I take just a very, very small amount. So I don't take caffeine on leg days because setting my headache off, which will then interrupt further sessions because you can't just kind of train through it because if you do, you'll just aggravate it and it won't go away. So for myself, it's not a good idea having caffeine on leg day. But when I deadlift, I've never, ever, ever set one off. So deadlifts are fine and I can do like my back and hamstring session, take caffeine, be completely fine. So yeah, quick recap, it can be caused what I believe from blood pressure, too much stimulants, tightness in the back of the neck or head or upper back, bracing and holding your breath too long during movements and higher rep sets. And it can be individualistic in terms of what sets it off and what movements can trigger it. In terms of how I've managed it, it's just basically, like I said, making sure I am keeping on top of foam rolling, stretching my upper back, doing some like prehab movements before my session to kind of loosen it off, stretching my neck beforehand, 
not having caffeine on leg days. And as well as that, I've kept cardio in throughout whole my gaining phase, which my blood pressure or resting heart rate's never been too high. But at the very end of the set, it could be. So keeping that in maybe allows me to manage that a bit better. And just finding what kind of triggers it for myself and not doing it and working around it accordingly. And also my head position. So when you're like doing a set, don't drive your head really hard against the back pad or or strain your neck when you're doing a squat looking up excessively or keep your head neutral. Don't kind of tense everything like your jaw and your neck excessively uh, because that won't do it any good. So yeah, next up we have my training split someone's asked about. So I've got an episode on what my split involves. I think it's five to ten episodes back. And I think it it's titled anything regarding structuring your training split or training split considerations, where I do outline my split in detail here. But my split is a push-pull legs rest, push back and hamstrings rest split, which I quite like. It suits my needs. It gives me a day or two days where I can do quite a lot of work for my back, which is one of my weaknesses. Same with push. I've got two sessions de- designated to push. And you could say one and a half leg days hitting legs a bit on hamstrings, but not an awful lot. So it suits my needs because legs are my strong point and I don't train them as much during my training block or training week. My micro cycle of training, you could say, if you want the nerdy term behind it. So it suits my need and it's orientated around what I like and it suits my routine outside the gym and yeah that's pretty much it and if you want to find out more about my training split like I said dive into that other video Uh, but I recently went over it so I'm not going to kind of go over it in too much detail again Uh, but yeah that's the split I've been running for the last two years or so and I think with training splits something that a lot of people kind of do maybe slightly poorly is they change it too often so like you, you usually don't need to change much and I think a lot of people change their training split or change their exercises, not out of necessity to change them, but out of boredom. And I think that holds a lot of people back because they're changing movement patterns that they're efficient at, that they're skilled at, that they can get a lot out of for a new movement just because they're a wee bit bored of it. Uh, whereas what you're kind of doing there is you're you're chasing enjoyment, you're not chasing results. So something to consider is what, what are you training for? What do you want? What do you want to prioritise? Because I know for myself... I enjoy results, so a large part of what I do in the gym is orientated around getting results and not around enjoyment. But of course, that is kind of a byproduct of that. So there's a good middle ground between the two. You want to enjoy your training, but you also want to fall in love with the monotony and not swap things out all the time because that's counterproductive towards getting strong in exercises, which will be reflective upon your physique. And as well as that, it'll be counterproductive just because if, let's say, you can do a movement consistently over time you get really efficient at it you get good and skilled at targeting that desired muscle so if you then swap it out you're not kind of allowing yourself to become efficient and maintain that efficiency on movement patterns and really express your true strength and get as much out of them as you potentially could so next up we are going to touch on if you should have an arm day so i think a lot of a lot of individuals kind of fancy an arm day or maybe have arm session it kind of Seems like a appealing body part to come maybe train in a certain session. This comes down to, again, people wanting to change their training split and looking what other people are doing. Like, just because someone who's been training 15 years has an arm day and they've got massive arms doesn't mean you need an arm day. Doesn't mean that's what, what has got them where they are. 
you've got to remember it's like the people you look up to are at a different point in their training career as yourself so you don't need to emulate what they're doing what got them where they are is may, may not be what they're currently doing if that makes sense it may not be what built them 20 pounds 30 pounds maybe more of muscles and they might be in a position where they can't recover from as much as maybe you can so don't look at what other people are doing and try and emulate it because that's just going to mean you might not get as much out of your training. A good example is, let's say someone who's been training for, let's say someone like, let's say professional bodybuilder on the Olympia stage or someone at a really high level, let's just say, they've built the majority of their muscle tissue and they might kind of, their lagging body part might be their arms. So they might need a day designated towards their arms once a week or once every now and then. Uh, whereas you might be six months into training, you've not got a lot of muscle everywhere, so your time's better spent doing a lot of big sessions, doing a lot of big movements and adding on all that muscle to your frame. A good analogy is like you need to kind of, you need to like do the broad strokes before then using a fine brush or you need to kind of get like kind of the shape before chiseling away and getting the fine details and I think that stands a lot of truth. Like make sure you're focusing on building just a lot of muscle everywhere so you can find out where your lagging body parts actually stand to then address them. Uh, whereas folk kind of stress about, I need I need a bit more brachialis or brachioradialis or inner pec or upper pec. Whereas if you just focus on getting strong on basic movements, you'll probably have your time better well spent. And then you can kind of look to see, right, what can you do to maybe bring up smaller body parts? And I think that's something super valuable. Because, yeah, a lot of people look at people more advanced than them and think, right, what they're currently doing now is what's got them there, which might not always be the case. Uh, so don't look at what they're currently doing now. Have a think and look, what did someone do when they were getting started that got them to the place they are now? What allowed them to build the majority of their muscle tissue? Not what are they doing now they've built the majority of their muscle tissue because they might look completely different. So bear that in mind when you are looking at individuals in the fitness industry. But hope you did enjoy the episode. Uh, I'm going to leave that there in regards to the questions I'm going to answer because I, go, I think I've gave a decent amount of value there and answered kind of appropriate amount and the episode's kind of a appropriate length how it is. However, if you did enjoy the episode, then please feel free to like, subscribe, share on your story. I greatly appreciate anyone's support. It helps massively. Uh, yeah, so thank you so much for anyone who has shown support. And like I said, if you have any questions, drop some in the comments on the YouTube video or message me on Instagram at Charlie J Cuthbert or at the Improvement Podcast with your questions and I'll make sure to either answer you directly or most likely fire them in the next Q&A episode. So that's what I'll typically do. So if you do ask any questions, I will write them down and I will make sure I've got a hold of them so that next time I do a Q&A, I can then go over them. But thank you very much for everyone listening and hope everyone has a great rest of their day.